Our fifth lesson comes from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of the Lord. We'll be announcing um, this week a location, but we're doing a joint Christmas Eve service with our sister church across the river, Hope Presbyterian Church, as well as with Bread and Wine. And as Aaron Morris, the pastor there, and I were chatting about that, we thought, why don't we do sort of a joint series leading up to that? And this is what came out of it, thinking about the incarnation, uh, the fact that Jesus, that God himself took on flesh, that he was an embodied person who came to a specific place. And what does that mean for us as embodied people? What does that mean for the places that we inhabit? So the sermon title or the sermon series, No Home Like Place, I thought that was pretty clever. I stole it, but it still works. And this morning we're looking at, first of all, the presence of God. So let me pray for us as we get started. Dear Jesus, would you guide us? Would you be with us? Would you be especially present in our midst this Advent season as we think about what it means that you became human, that you took on flesh and went to the cross and were resurrected and ascended Lord, as we begin this long season of celebration, would you be with us? Would you be with us as a church? Would you be with us in our homes? Wherever we find ourselves, would we begin to take a new perspective of the places that we inhabit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 25th anniversary of the world's worst nuclear disaster, the journalist Holly Morris went to Chernobyl to see what life was like, not expecting to find people there, but just what was the ground like, what were the animals like, what was going on there. And the whole story changed for her, and she ended up giving a TED Talk entitled, Why Stay at Chernobyl? Because it's home. And you know that this is an incredibly dangerous area. It's highly radioactive. No one should be living there, but what she discovered is that hundreds do. And these aren't squatters. These are people who were raised there. This is their land that they moved back to, their ancestral home they felt dislocated from. And so they moved back illegally. They're not even supposed to be there. And yet they live there. And she says in her commentary, now, like many of you, I have moved maybe 20 or 25 times in my life. Home is a transient concept. I have a deeper connection to my laptop than any bit of soil. So it's hard for us to understand, but home is the entire cosmos of the rural babushka, which is grandmother. And the connection to the land is palpable. 
You hear them say, if you leave, you die. Those who left are worse off now. They are dying of sadness. What sounds like faith, she says, soft faith, may actually be fact. Because the surprising truth, and I say this, I mean there are no comprehensive studies, but the truth seems to be that these women who returned to their homes have lived on some of the most radioactive land on earth for the last 27 years, have actually outlived their counterparts by a decade in some cases. How could this be? Could it be that those ties to ancestral soil, the soft variables reflected in their aphorisms, actually affect longevity? The power of motherland, so fundamental to that part of the world, seems palliative. Home and community are forces that rival even radiation. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating and considering the incarnation that Christ, the eternally existent Son of God, became fully human with us and for us, that He rooted Himself, that He placed Himself in a particular time, in a particular religious and cultural moment, geography, location, people. And in so doing, He rooted and He submitted Himself to those people and to that place. And we're going to spend time over the next few weeks considering the significance of that incarnation for the place that He has planted us the place that we as a church inhabit, and the places that we as individuals and families inhabit? How is the incarnation significant for those places? Well, we see in our text, Moses is minding his business. He's going about his everyday life. He's doing his ordinary tasks. He's tending his father-in-law's flock, and he meets God, or more accurately, God meets him. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals because the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Where God is, is holy. The environment changes. The very ground changes when God is present. Moses was going about his daily business. And he noticed this burning bush, and he says, well, my, that's interesting. I'm going to go over and check that out. I don't know if that would have been my response. But he goes over there. But the Hebrew literally says, turned aside. He was turned aside. And I think the writer of Exodus is trying to tell us that this was a paradigm-shifting moment for him. Something was radically changed, that the holy God had become incarnate in Moses' presence in his life in a way that he would have never expected. Now, often for us, everyday life just kind of carries on. It carries us along. We're busy. We have our tasks. We have our routines. We have our bills to pay, our jobs. And then we get up the next morning and we do it all over again. And we don't often take the time to ask, what am I really doing this for? Why am I going to work? What am I accomplishing, if I'm accomplishing anything at all? Why am I here? Why am I in this place? As Christians, we believe that God orchestrates circumstances to bring us to a certain place, and we're there because He has placed us there. Why? 
What does this mean? What is the significance for my neighborhood, for my workplace, for my classroom, for the land that I live on, for the house that I live in, for the apartment that I live in? What does it mean that God has placed in town here at this block, in this city, at this time? God appeared and Moses was turned aside. And I hope as we leave this, this long season of ordinary time, we begin to have this opportunity to reflect, to spend time intentionally looking at the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus, that we can reflect and ask those questions, that we perhaps as a church collectively and individually, that we can be turned aside so that we are forced to ask these questions, to see God in our midst, maybe not in a burning bush, probably not, but God really present with us. And we know that this encounter was significant for more than just Moses personally, because God was giving a, placing a calling upon Moses' life. Moses is about to receive this personal calling, but it involves a people going to a place, a very specific place. And we know, first of all, that in one sense, God is omnipresent. One of the Psalms that we read regularly, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. In other words, rhetorically, God is ever-present. He is omnipresent. We can't escape his presence. But we see also that God has a relational presence, a relational face, if you will, There are places where God is specially revealed and specially intensely present. God's presence in Exodus 3 is a foreshadowing of what God intended for his people as he led them out of slavery and into the place that he would reside with them in a special way. And the good news of God's redeeming love through Christ affects us physically and culturally, and and it takes root in the places that we inhabit. Moses' encounter with God is on this holy ground in a burning bush. And while that's not the norm for us, that's not what we should necessarily expect in our relationship with God, it's much closer to the way that God meets us than we probably actually know In the front of your bulletin, I quoted the poet Gerald Manley Hopkins. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. God reveals himself as fire, and he has a task for Moses because God's people are not only enslaved, but they're what? They're displaced. They're unplaced. And God promises not only to rescue them, but to give them a place, to give them a home to give them land where he will dwell with them. Walter Brueggemann is one of the foremost Old Testament scholars in the world, and he uses this land metaphor as one of the orienting orienting images of all of Scripture. And he says that the yearning to belong somewhere, to have a home, to be in a safe place is a deep and moving pursuit. It is experienced by people from all sectors of society, and even those who appear to be well-rooted and belonging 
can experience profound dislocation. This, of course, is not a new struggle, but it is more widespread and visible than it has ever been. Nor is this sense alien to the biblical promise of faith. The Bible itself is primarily concerned with the issue of being displaced and yearning for a place. Indeed, the Bible promises precisely what the modern world denies us of. Now, maybe he overplays his hand slightly there, but don't we tend to think of spirituality as a fairly disembodied concept? That it exists up here, it exists out there. It takes us out of the world rather than rooting us in it. And so some of the most significant existential problems that we have, a sense of dislocation, of rootlessness, of homelessness, of fragmentation, aren't seen by most people as being addressed by the church. But when God is present, there is holy ground. There is a holy place. You see, He leads His people not first of all to heaven, but to a land, to rootedness, a land that they are to cultivate and love and serve and live and die in and be related to a certain piece of land, of God's earth, that they are to cultivate and love. And in that land, before they get there, as they're wandering, God gives them what? A tabernacle, this tent, this mobile place of worship where God meets with them personally in a very special way. God is omnipresent, but He is in that tabernacle, especially for the Israelites. And then when they get to the land, they build a temple where God's relational face, where His presence resides and says, come and meet with me here. He gives them a sacred space as well as a permanent place. And God makes Himself present to meet with and encounter people through different and progressively richer, thicker ways through history. Because what do we celebrate as Advent? It, in Advent, it's the culmination of all of those images, all of the hopes that resided in all of those different images culminates from the burning bush to the land to the tabernacle to the, pen, the temple to God with us, to Emmanuel, God residing in the person of His Son in human form now even more embodied, more present, more relational. The Gospel of John tells us in chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That word is tabernacle. It's tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. He is fulfilling that image that the tabernacle was meant to give to the Israelite nation that God is present with them and loves them in their place. Now, Jesus tabernacles among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He fulfills that image of the tabernacle, and then later in the very next chapter in John, He calls Himself the temple of God, that Jesus was everything that the temple pointed to and expected. Wherever and to whomever Jesus went, people encountered the very presence of God, all of His holiness, all of His love, all of His relational face, all of His compassion, all of His redemptive power, His sovereignty, His saving intent, face-to-face in the person of Jesus. That is what they encountered. He was the ultimate holy place. 
But here's where the plot thickens, and here's where it relates to us more directly. Because as you hear in our New Testament reading, it says, you are God's household, you being the church. You are God's household. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling, a tabernacle, a temple in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, here's where some of you may get off the bus because he's talking about the church, the church as the holy temple. And for many people, the church is the last place that they expect to meet Jesus. They expect many other things, religiosity, inwardness, jealousy, all sorts of things, but not Jesus, not His grace, not His welcome. But you see, it's always with weak things, unexpected things that God has chosen to reveal Himself in a bush, in a small enslaved tribe, in a tabernacle, a temple, a crucified Savior, a church. And though God, though encountering God is not tied to a particular place or pen on the map or a particular style of worship, there is such a thing as a sacred space, as holy ground even today. And it's not confined to one experience that Moses had with God in the wilderness or lost in the history of Jesus' ministry, or it turns out actually that the presence of God's people gathered in a community with identifiable members and believers and belongers in a specific context and location, that that's where God chooses now to take up residence. With all of our fragmentation and all of our sin, God resides in his church and calls the church a holy temple. Now, what does this mean? It means that salvation doesn't come in the abstract. It's always localized. It's always concrete. It's something you can point to and say, there it is. There is God's presence. In Jesus, it comes in a person to a place at a specific time and is realized in a particular context where people experience and worship God locally as placed people. And it's in that way that God addresses our deepest needs, not in the abstract, but in the real, in the concrete, in the community of God's people, in His temple. Simone Veil is the very wonderful French philosopher and Christian mystic, and she says, to be rooted is perhaps the most important need of the human soul. Beyond things like self-actualization or attaining goals or making a difference, there is a more foundational human longing, and it is to belong. Both human nature and biblical theology tell us that we are built for relationships. Our hunger to belong, our hunger for place, is good and God-given. Doesn't it follow that belonging has, as a prerequisite, a sense of place? In other words, we are built to belong, and in order to belong, we need a place. Christianity does certainly have otherworldly dimensions, but at the center of the Christian story is a God who became man, who inhabited space, who came in real history, 
to redeem not only individual souls, but all of creation. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look a little bit more deeply at some of the realities that that creates for us, some of the opportunities that creates for us, and hopefully some roots that that creates for us by which we can grow more into the incarnation. And I hope that it will alter the manner in which we inhabit the space that God has placed us, whether it's you being placed as an individual or whether it's in town being placed here, that we can really begin to live in and for the places that God has put us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that as we continue to encounter you and you encounter us, I pray that we would be open to being steered, to being led, to seeing you in places that maybe we don't expect, being open to encounters and to truth that we're not wanting to believe. Lord, I pray that you would guide us, especially those of us here this morning who are Christians, who are followers of you, that we would be led into the places that we inhabit with the good news of the gospel. And Lord, for those of us who are here who have not yet made that change, had that encounter, would you encounter us? Would you turn us aside? Would you help us to see that in your incarnation you bring grace and truth and love for the taking? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.